We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And joining us today is Danielle Belton, who's the editor-in-chief at The Root. Let's jump in and get to know Danielle. Danielle, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. We're thrilled to have you here. We're excited. For our listeners that don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about where you were born and raised and tell us about your family. Okay, sure. So I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm the middle child out of three daughters. My parents are from the deep South and came to St. Louis as part of the great migration to look for work. My dad was an electrical, elect, I'm sorry, he was an architectural engineer who went into management and was in the aerospace industry for his entire career. Hmm. And so I was really lucky. I have a very um, <laughs> kind of boring suburban childhood, <laughs> uh, the typical stuff. You know, I dealt with bullies and I was a nerd because I loved books and writing and reading and all this stuff. The only problem was, I was the type of nerd that wasn't low-key. I didn't know how to blend in with the wallpaper. <laughs> like, I was an extrovert. So that's the worst combination, to be an awkward <laughs> person and to be an extrovert. So childhood was kind of brutal in that way, and that kids have no filter, and they're cool. Went to college in Southern, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville campus. Got a degree in mass communications. I've been in journalism for, oh my God, it's been 20 years, which is like crazy to me. I think it's actually 21 years, to be honest, because I graduated in 99. Hmm. So yeah, I started out in newspapers, the Bakersfield, California, and the Midland Reporter Telegram. Around 2007, I started a blog called The Black Snob that was really popular for a little while. It was a pop culture and political blog. You know, it got me on 2020 and Nightline and all this, hmm. no, not 2020, it was Good Morning America, Nightline, CNN, MSNBC, all those hmm. folks. And it was amazing. Unfortunately, I'm a terrible boss to myself. I worked myself to death. I wrote like six stories a day on the blog. Uh, (laughs) Made myself miserable. Did not make any money because I did not understand how to make money off of a blog. I only know how to... I'm a content creator, Mm. unfortunately, not a revenue generator. I don't know how to to do that very well. So I took my talents to several different places, worked for a lot of different digital outlets, Eventually found my way to BET, where I was a head writer for a late night talk show. I was one of the first Black women to lead a writer's room in late night in 2012 for TJ Holmes' show, Don't Sleep. And did that for about four months. And then we got canceled, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, really devastating. Because I think I worked on that. We worked on developing that show for like over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So it was crazy to devote nearly two years to something and then have it not pan out. But, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've I've also worked in the nonprofit world, but eventually I got sick of that and missed journalism. So I joined The Root in 2015, and that's where I've been ever since. I started out as an associate editor, got promoted a year later to managing editor, and then was made editor-in-chief in in 2017. What a great career path, and that's exciting. Uh, I'm I'm curious, you know, your family from the Deep South finds their way to the Midwest. You know, what what sort of impact or how did that impact your identity? How did that sort of shape who you are today? Oh, I mean, I am someone who was really raised to be proud to be African-American. My parents taught me my history from a very young age. They wanted me to know my family history. They wanted me to know the history of 
Black people in America. They wanted me to understand my culture. They're very passionate about it. My mother was a school teacher. Hmm. She quit teaching after uh, she got pregnant with my eldest sister and was a stay-at-home mom. But she still loved to educate us. And so, I mean, she used to chase us around the house with books. Like, and I remember, you know, all of us had to pick um, as like a seminal work of a Black author to read when we turned 13. My eldest sister, she chose autobiography of, of Malcolm X. I read Dick Gregory's autobiography, which has a very profane title. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know what my little sister read because she hated to read. She was the odd man out in that family, unfortunately. So it was like, it was everything from learning about the kings and queens of Africa to Harriet Tubman and Carter G. Woodson and all these great historical folks, you know, your Thurgood Marshalls and your Frederick Douglasses, your Sojourner Truths. I think at one point in my life, I could recite Ain't I a Woman, you know, because mm. I, it was drilled in my head so much. And I read the great works of like poets like Paul Lawrence Dunbar and Langston Hughes, you know. I mean, my parents really wanted me to be proud of who I am. And I also went to an all-Black elementary school. The teachers were white because it was a school within a white school district, mm-hmm. but it just happened to be in a Black neighborhood where the school was. Mm-hmm. And so my mother, because she was labeled a militant parent by the Hayeswood mm-hmm. School District in St. Louis at the time, mm-hmm. had pushed for us to learn Black history in school, and she pushed for us to have an MLK Day pageant. So we <laughs> had a Black History Month program, an MLK Day program, along with all the Christmas and Halloween programs and things like that. So she was really passionate about Black history. And so with that foundation, I've always had a lot of confidence. I've always had a lot of pride in who I am and my people and a lot of love for Black people and Black culture. So yeah, like... It's not shocking that I ended up working for The Root, you know, one of the blackest outlets on the internet, because that's, that's where I wanted to be. I, you know, I, I tried to get a job at The Root in, 2000, in 2009, wow. and they, like, patted me on my head and sent me on my way. Uh, <laughs> I stayed in touch with them, and I, I kept bothering them until they finally hired me. And, you know, I think the reason why they were reluctant is because I've always been a risk taker. I'm not afraid of saying uncomfortable things and taking on difficult challenges and just trying stuff and seeing what sticks. And I think they were worried that I'd do something like crazy, like let people curse in headlines, which is exactly what happened. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I was just about to ask you maybe where your parents learned that passion and that love to teach you to be able to seek it out, you know, and understand, you know, your family and your culture and your background. So where do you think they learned you know, to be so proud and to pass that on? Well, in my dad's case, he was fortunate in that his mother was very positive when it came to education. She wanted her sons to go to college. She wanted them to be educated. And that was like her dream for her children. And my father carried his mother's dream with him. She passed away. I never got to meet her. She passed away when my dad was 18. So she never got to actually see my father go off to college and graduate but um, he kept her spirit alive in his heart. He still does to this day. Like he talks about his mom as if she's still alive. You know, he has such great passion for his family. And so he got that from her. And in the case of my mother, my mother was the daughter of sharecroppers, you know, in Arkansas. And 
they just, you know, they just didn't know their history. Like a lot of people, they knew their family history and that was about it. And so my mother, she didn't learn about the richness of our history until she went off to college. She went to Philander Smith in Little Rock and she was shocked at how little she knew Mm. and realized that, oh, I want to know more. And so she became really hungry about it. And she didn't want her daughters to not know where they came from. She didn't want us to have the same experience where we would have to wait until we went off to, you know, a black college to actually learn black culture and black history. She was like, this is something they should know literally from the minute they come (laughs) out of the womb. So she was on it. Like she was just really passionate. She was so passionate about history. She got excited about my dad's family's history because on my dad's side, my great, great uncle, John Myricks was a Buffalo soldier. and he was married to my dad's great aunt and my mom collected all his papers. Being that she was an old school teacher, she had them laminated. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) She wanted to preserve it. So she laminated everything (laughs) and put together a little book. And she used to teach history lessons about the Buffalo soldiers to uh, my peers when I was in junior high and high school. Love that education and and being proud of your family history. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. Yeah. Um, I think it's important, you know, Absolutely. Absolutely. Daniel, I want to ask you about your career because you mentioned being in journalism for, for 20 years. And I'm curious to understand from you, how, how has the profession evolved or changed over the last 20 years? Oh, I mean, when I got into journalism, it was already, it was struggling. <laughs> like, because the advent of the internet really changed everything. It was a great disruption that happened in media when I finally got involved with it. So. I think the ultimate death knell for like most lo- local newspapers was Craigslist. Like when they took out the classified sections, basically, because people just post things for free on the internet. And, you know, it was a wrap after that for a lot of those local papers. Like when I came to the Bakersfield, California, and we had a full newsroom of probably like 20, 30 people. Mm. And I think today, I don't even know if there's 10 people working there. Like it's just sad. So newspapers really, you know, struggled with that loss of revenue. And so I realized that, you know, my dream of like just making a career in newspapers was probably not going to happen because when I was a kid, I wanted to be like Dave Barry, the, um, the newspaper columnist. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a humor column and mm-hmm. I was like, I, I want to do that. I want to write a humor column that gets syndicated. Yeah. I want to be like Clarence, you know, Clarence Page and I'm going to write books on the side. And yeah, the, the newspapers then went way of the dodo. So that didn't happen. But there was a good thing that happened about the fact that the internet, you know, kind of took over, was that there was a great democratization of media. You know, anybody could get a website, you know, pay 10 bucks to GoDaddy and get a domain name, because back then, GoDaddy was only people selling them as much as I hated their advertising. And um, you could just throw up a website and write whatever your heart desired and see if you could build an audience. And so even though I didn't know how to make money off of the internet, because that's not how my brain works, I knew how to create content that people wanted to read. I knew what people liked and what drew them in and what made them excited. And that is what led to my successful career as a writer and as a journalist. Every job that I've ever gotten was because of my blog. Mm. Somebody read it, they loved it. I won awards for it. You know, it was a huge, huge part of my life at one point. 
So that disruption, you know, led to the creation of The Root. The Root was founded in 2008, around, you know, the same time that Barack Obama was running for president. And it was just this, all these great blogs started popping up all over the place. You had Very Smart Brothers and Jack and Jill Politics and, you know, Post Bougie and like all these places. And almost everyone from the blogs who were the most successful they're either still operating or those people have gotten jobs in the mainstream now. Mm-hmm. You know, Very Smart Brothers is part of the root now. So it's been amazing to watch, you know, my peers really grow and flourish in the same way that I did and find their own place in these spaces. Gotcha. And, and just for anyone that is listening that isn't familiar with the root, can you just describe the root for a few seconds? Sure. The root is the leading African-American online news source. We cover any and everything involving Black people with an irreverent, in-your-face, straight-no-chaser, no-filter style. Like, we're brutally honest, you know, to a fault. (laughs) So we're really funny, we're really insightful, we're really smart, and we speak in the vernacular of our culture because we're so proud of it. Awesome, awesome. And um, you mentioned a few minutes ago about some of the blogs you started, awards that you've won, you know, preparing for this interview. I I watched some of your political commentary uh, on TV. Curious, out out of all the things that you've done over the last 20 years in your career, is there one or two that that stand out that you're, you know, just super proud of that you sort of hang your hat on? Uh, The two things are growing the Roots audience, when I first came on board at The Root, we were lucky if we got 3 million visitors a month, and I grew it to over 10 million a month in 2017. And I did it in about six months. How? <laughs> I changed everything. I was, I was, go, I was smasher. <laughs> I was like, everything's changing. We're going to have opinions, and we're going to write humor, and we're going to do all the things I did with the Black Snob, but I'm just going to do it with you guys and make it bigger and better. I hired a bunch of new writers and gave people who've been on the internet for years the platform they deserve, you know? Like Michael Harriet, when he first started writing for us, he'd only written for maybe a couple other websites and he had his own blog, you know, and now he's like one of the leading, you know, black journalists and media today. Like everyone loves him. And, you know, we acquired very smart brothers that made a huge difference. We started a fashion and women's empowerment site called The Glow Up. Super proud of it. I created it alongside supermodel Veronica Webb and we launched it in 2017. Like that was big. Now Mai Shikai is the managing editor of The Glow Up and she's amazing. She's a beautiful Grammy nominated plus size supermodel who writes and edits. Like she is, um, she's everything. I, I love her to death. And so it's like, all these like amazing things just happened just because I decided to change to shift the focus of the root. So I'm very proud of what I've been able to do with the root and of all the people who've contributed to our success, which is my staff, you know, with Stephen Crockett and, you know, Janetta Adams is my managing editor. She, I couldn't do my job without her. You know, it's just been an amazing, amazing experience overall. The second thing that I'm proud of, of course, is being one of the first Black women to lead a writer's room in late night mm. in 2012. I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> you know, like, because I had never worked in TV before. I originally was hired as a staff writer 
but nobody could turn around a script that both the network and TJ liked, except for me. And so they just made me head writer because I was I was the only person that could, you know, who could marry TJ's straight news, wanted to do pure journalism with the jokes that mm. beats he wanted at the time in the mm. show. And so I'm very proud of that, even though the show, you know, <laughs> went off the air after four months. Danielle, I asked you some questions about your parents and, you know, you just mentioned your staff and I'm sure there's been some folks that aren't your parents that have been influential in your life and mentors, or maybe not just mentors, but people that have impacted you. Tell us a little bit about some of the folks that impacted you that have helped you along the way. Oh, there's been a lot of people who've been wonderful to me. Bonnie Irby with PBS, she hosts a show called To the Contrary. She was one of the first people to put me on her, put me on TV. Michelle Martin of NPR, she had a show called Tell Me More. She had me on all the time and she was amazing. I got so many appearances with other networks and larger platforms because I was on NPR with her on a regular basis. And that was so much fun. And she's been, you know, a really helpful person to me in my career. Amy Alexander, she's an author and longtime journalist. You know, she's given me great advice. She's given me great guidance, you know, throughout my career. She's been amazing. My friend, Hopi Morton, she has worked in television. She's worked for nonprofits. She's the person who encouraged me to take the job at The Root, even though at the time I didn't know if I would be a good manager or not. She really supported me and believed in me. My friend, Toya Watts, who passed away in 2014. Toya was a strong believer in me. She took me under her wing when I came to Washington, D.C. And she guided me through everything. She knew everybody. Like, she was the, like, she was the ideal, like, social, like, butterfly. Everyone loved her. She walked into a room, was like watching a play. (laughs) like she would give a monologue you'd be riveted you know and she was just amazing and she connected me with so many great people that I'm still friends with to this day so you know a lot of my support has come from black women black women are the reason why I have the career that I have today it was people like Donna Bird who's the publisher former publisher of The Root Donna Bird is the one who I kept in touch with all those years and kept pestering for a job so yeah like I never understood Like, there's this stereotype about women being catty and not being able to bond Mm. and grow together. That has not been my story. Mm -hmm. My story has always been where my biggest supporters, defenders, friends have all been Black women. And, you know, I'm a girl's girl. So (laughs) I just, I've never had that problem. Hear you correctly say that uh, you needed some convincing to take the the job at the root. (laughs) Yes, to take the promotion. At the time, I was associate editor, and I didn't know if I wanted to be the managing editor and eventually the editor-in-chief. I didn't know if I wanted to take on that much responsibility at the time. No, Danielle, that's tremendous, and that's awesome. So many people have touched you and been helpful along the way. You mentioned really a lot of Black women that have helped you. And, you know, how how does that sort of influence and, and how does that help you be able to pass that on to others? Right. You know, how does that help you sort of engage with folks who who need a a helping hand in their career or even personally? How has that impacted you? Oh, I'm someone who loves to help young writers get to where they want to go in life. I've hired so many amazing people at the root since I've been there. I mentioned Michael, I mentioned Maisha, 
both who I hired. Like this, I mean, my staff is full of just amazing folks. Like, you know, Joe Gerardo, he's a young guy. He's just starting out as a staff writer. Like, he's so good. There's Monique Judge, who was our news editor. You know, she came on board originally as a freelancer. Maisha originally was a freelancer. Michael originally was a freelancer. They're all full-time staffers now. Mm. I have a mentee. Her name is Bella Brace, and she is a wonderful spirit. She's been amazing. And she's someone who also wants to, you know, be in the world of, of media and literature. And so it's just been amazing to work with somebody who reminds me of myself, who's just young and starting out and wanted to learn the business. Right now, she's currently helping me out as an assistant. And she is amazing. So it's just, I'm not someone who, you know, I get to where I am and like I lock all the windows, you know, close all the windows and lock all the doors. <laughs> like I'm not that person. You know, my parents, I always jokingly say, raised me to be a Terminator, which was to infiltrate, you know, high level spaces and then open the doors for other Black people to come in. Mm. So, and that is what I have done throughout my career. I've always brought people along with me like my friend, like Aisha Callahan, when I met her, she was working in HR, but she was a writer and she had a blog and she was super funny. And, you know, now, you know, she's written for television. She's in all these amazing things. And I was always happy to, you know, be a part of her growth as a writer. She was developing her career. Yeah. Like I, I'm someone who believes in giving back. I don't believe in shutting people out or shutting people down. I'm also um, a mentor in Sophia Chang's mentorship program, Unlock Her Potential. And so I have mentees in that as well. Love that. Love that. What are you reading these days? Oh, oh my God. What am I not reading? Um, (laughs) I was reading uh, Mary Trump's book for a while there. I still need to finish it. I started reading uh, Joseph Campbell's most famous work, which the name is escaping me right now. I'm staring at the stack of books on my desk. I was also reading The Meaning of Mariah Carey, mm. Claudia Rankin's Just Us. Like, I'm, I'm reading everything. I, we have a podcast at the root called It's Lit, and it involves lots of, lots of reading. Mm. I'm also reading Sophia Chang's book, uh, The Baddest Bitch in the Room. Awesome. Awesome. Any advice for anyone that is in college right now looking to start a career in journalism? What would you tell them? Oh, start now. Like, don't think that just because you're in college and you're learning that you can't work in journalism. You totally can. You can, you can start freelancing now. Because what matters in journalism is experience. Mm-hmm. Like, you can get the fanciest degree in the world and go into tremendous debt. It's not worth it for journalism, which, by the way, you shouldn't do that. It's a terrible idea. If you want to go into mass comm, just find a decent J school and go there. Like, you know, don't... I mean, unless your family's really connected, like, don't do it. Don't waste, don't waste your money on a really expensive institution because journalism is really all about the experience. So yeah, don't go into tremendous debt. That's number one, if you don't have to. Some people have to, they don't have a choice. But, you know, you can go to a state school, you can go to, like, Mizzou is an excellent, excellent J school. So there's lots of good options. But to get experience, take as many internships as you can, get as many freelance gigs as you can, network your ass off, meet as many people as you can possibly meet, be humble, be on time, don't waste anybody's time and have good follow through. Gotcha. And you'll do well. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the good follow through earlier, you mentioned you had originally applied for a job at the root and they turned you down. But 
seems like you just kept being persistent there, right? And and yes. look at where you are. And I, and I think that's also sort of a great story to tell, great piece of advice. It's just because, you know, you get told no or a door closes doesn't mean that that door won't open back up again or another one won't open up for you later on down the line. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, don't get discouraged, you know, if someone says no. Don't burn down a bridge over something really small like you didn't get the job. Because you don't, you never know. The same people that you interview interview with today, 10 years from now, might be the person who opens the door for you, you know, to the job of your dreams. Absolutely. All right. One fun question that I have for you that I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is give us the top three apps that you use on your phone, but you can't name email or text messaging or count. Oh, okay. Um, Grubhub. Important. That's real. <laughs> Before the pandemic, you know, I used Lyft all the time to get around the city. But, you know, since pandemic, Lyft is very lonely these yeah. days. My Bank of America app. That's real, <laughs> like, too. Got to keep track of my monies that I don't know how to make. And, ah, what was it? oh, Spotify. How could I forget Spotify? I listen to music all day. There you go. And is your podcast on Spotify? Yes, it is. All right, there you go. Got to plug the podcast. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Danielle, it's been so much fun having you with Mm -hmm. us. Thank you for being generous with your time. A lot of our listeners like to stay in touch and probably want to read all the books that you're reading and sort of reach out from time to time. How can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Black Snob, or you can find me on Instagram at Belton Danielle. Excellent. Grubhub, banking, that's real. We've been hearing all these other all these other apps. I love it. I love it. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us again for another episode. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thank you. Thank you.